Hello, I'm Marit Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is an end of life doulas insights into living and dying consciously. My guest is Nidhi Amanda Chaito, certified therapeutic counselor, end of life doula and integrative life coach from Hookville in the Garden Route. Welcome Nidhi. Thank you so much Mariette. It's I'm deeply honored to be here with you today. To our listeners, after our conversation, Nidhi will give us her three best tips for living consciously. And then it will be fun question time. Nidhi, could you please tell us the story behind your name? With pleasure. So my name is a Sanskrit name and Sanskrit is an ancient language. And um, I was born Amanda and I went on a spiritual journey and I was given this spiritual name, which has a beautiful meaning and the meaning is treasure. And so I legally changed my name, my first name to Nidhi Amanda. So I, I brought that in and it is certainly a name that causes a lot of conversation. And what I always say to people is that we all have beautiful names with, that have a deep meaning. And when we can honor that and really connect with the gift of the meaning of our name, it enhances our identity and our sense of self. So in indigenous cultures, the, their names are always have deep meaning and they come from a particular event or something that happens in people's lives. And so the naming is an important aspect of life. Mm. And um, what's interesting is that people can't always say my name and it, it's certainly an icebreaker mm. at the beginning of a meeting and a conversation. Mm. Um, and my my name is spelled N-I-D-H-I. So it's Nidhi. And often people will call me Needy and they'll put E's in it. And oh, dear. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> and... Somebody said to me the other day, it's okay because you help people in need. So I thought, well, there we go. I that's mean, maybe true. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Nelly, yeah. we're coming to today's topic, which is death. And we hear about it every day on the news and in many other ways. But our society is not comfortable with it. Uh, how do you think does our society view death? You know, death is one of our biggest fears next to public speaking. And um, it's the, you know, I, I think often about what it is about death that that frightens people. We just also don't honor death so well in our um, culture. And according to our different cultural belief systems, you know, each each culture has their own way of dealing with death but it's not a conversation that sits comfortably for people and they, they shy away from it. And yet it's part of life. And when we can start to even just come to a place of acceptance that, you know, we are all going to die. We can then choose how we're going to live. And 
there's definitely more conversation now about death. There's this concept of death cafes, which started, I think, in England, and people get together and they talk about death and not a spiritual conversation or a religious conversation. It's the practicalness of death. And these cafes are run all over the world and people run them. And when you go online and read up about the death cafe, the most important thing is that they have cake at their meeting, oh. which I thought was quite wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, it's, it just it embodies this, the principle of the fact that when we can comfortably talk about death, then life becomes a celebration. And um, confronting death and how it manifests in our lives Certainly when we can speak about things, it demystifies them and makes it easier to to hold those conversations and cope with. But it's not always easy. Mm. And working working with dying and death as a concept, I mean, people don't even like to use the word. So they'll say, this person passed away, or they left their body, or they've you know moved on to another place. So sometimes it's even difficult to say the word death. And again, if you do demystify something and make it part of the vocabulary, it makes it easier to deal with. So I think that society deals death with death very much based on the cultural belief systems. And what's interesting in, in our times now is death's a statistic. So we live with numbers and statistics. This many people died, this many people died. And it doesn't have a personal interaction with ourselves when we hear the statistic. It's just a statistic. It's not real. Yeah. So when we start to make it real in that it starts to have an impact on our lives and the people around us and, you know, people die. And as we get older, it seems to be more people die. But in today's society with the wars and the pandemic and everything and the level of cancer and disease, people are dying every day and they're dying in all ages and all socioeconomic aspects of our society. That's true. And you're an end-of-life doula, also called a death doula. Could you explain what you do? Sure. So doula, the word doula is a Greek word, which means woman servant or woman who serves. And the, the concept of a doula is, it's another word for a midwife. Birth doulas work with midwives and they facilitate the process of birth and they help the, the mother who's expecting and her family to prepare for the birth. And they have a birth plan, etc. So the, the concept of a death doula is really very much the same, where you work with someone who is terminally ill and you create a, a, a space and an environment for them to have a good death and help them facilitate conversations with their family, um, work with a, a multidisciplinary team. So sometimes there's a palliative care aspect of it. Sometimes, you know, there's a doctor, a specialist, an oncologist, a social worker, depending what the need of the person is. So it's about addressing the needs of the person who is terminally ill and helping them prepare for their death in their way and making it easier for them to have those conversations because often people fret 
for their family because it's so shocking for the family and their loved ones to understand what they're going through. So they are sometimes put themselves on hold what they need because they're there to protect their families. And so the, the, the role of a doula, a death doula, is to facilitate and help them maybe to talk to the doctor, to get them comfortable, to organize their physical needs. Do they need their feet rubbed? What music do they want to listen to, etc. So it's just dealing with those little things that we often don't get asked and to try and help them be as comfortable and as present as possible while they're going through this sometimes really difficult time, um, you know, dying from a terminal illness or from something like that threatens your life is really difficult. And there's a lot of fear around that. And there's a lot of pain and suffering. And that makes it hard for the person who's dying as well as the people that love them. And this is very sacred work. It's very precious work. And again, not everybody is open to having someone that can come and be with them and help them facilitate the process. And I just wanted to say here that my work with um, end of life and with dying is really around the role of being a counselor and a support system and a guide. And also because I, I work with grief and loss a lot. It's about facilitating conversations in preparation of, of the, the grieving and mourning process. So you can approach being a death doula in different ways. You also mentioned that you implement the principle of unconditional regard when you do this mm. work. Unconditional positive regard is... Um, a way of doing therapy where you are present with someone where they are at. So it's about meeting someone in whatever stage or place they are at in their life and trying to give them the space to heal or grow or deal in their own time and in a place where they feel safe and held. So there's no pressure to be anything else but what you are and there's no pressure to do anything more than what you feel like doing. And so it's it's very much around compassion and kindness and gentleness and just allowing someone to feel held and safe. And that allows them to participate in whatever's happening in their life in a different way because they're not being spoken at. Mm. They are included in the conversation around what is going on for them and they are heard and I think that's something that is so important is to feel heard and often when there's in a, a lot of emotional turmoil going on um, and a lot of fear and sadness and, and uncertainty um, people can speak at the person who's going through a difficult time so mm. facilitating that and, and just allowing them to have a sacred safe space to to be heard and to have their needs expressed um, makes their, their time and what they're going through much easier to deal with. It sounds as if you create a very calm space for someone like that. Yes, I think it's really important. And as I said, I see this as holy work. I see it as a great privilege and an honor 
I see all my work as a great privilege and an honor. When someone can come into a space and be vulnerable, it takes a huge amount of courage. And to be able to make them feel safe and offer them a gentle, loving, kind environment is going to help them to work through whatever's happening for them because they feel safe. And I think that's so important. So, um, you know, my, my gift is calmness and peace. It's my nature. And so I've always been that way. And when I'm not calm and I feel unsettled, then I can't be, I can't offer anybody the, the wisdom and the, the guidance. So I work on myself all the time to stay calm and I find, and I have ways of, of working through and when things are not feeling so easy, I create resources and um, spaces for myself to go and get the support that I need so that I can be in a calm place for someone else. I think that's really important. You recently suffered a great loss when your beloved died. Could you please tell us more about him? Sure. So um, he died seven and a half months ago. He was the love of my life. We, we weren't together for long enough. We met and we met each other and we just knew that we were, we were meant to meet each other and we were meant to be together. He was a, a genius. He was a, a musician and a writer and a linguistic. Yeah, he spoke many languages. He was just an incredible human being. And we had this beautiful life together that was deeply meaningful and appreciative and um, sometimes challenging. We met, he was, what, nine months or 11 months younger than me. So we were the same age. And when we met, we decided... We're just going to be together because we're getting older mm. and there's no time. We haven't got time to to waste. Yeah, so we lived on the garden route together here just outside Hookville and we were together during the pandemic and I was so grateful. We were both so grateful to have each other so that we could just be quiet um, and get on with our lives. And he needed to go to Cape Town, um, which is five and a half hours away from where we live, to visit a friend who is really old. And he went to Cape Town and within two weeks he contracted COVID and two weeks later he died. And um, it was a shock for me because oh, he underplayed how sick he was and I didn't know how sick he was. I knew he was sick, but I didn't know how sick he was. And because of the kind of person he was, he didn't like to make a fuss. And um, so, yes, it was a it, it was a trauma for me because I I couldn't find him. And then I eventually found him in Kretoskia and I was able to get hold of the doctor. And he died very fast and very quickly. So I made a decision that night when I was waiting for the doctor to phone me um, that I had to look after myself and that I needed to to do this with my wisdom and and go through the process of grieving with consciousness and awareness. It was not easy. It isn't easy when you lose the one that you love. But I made a decision to really honor his memory and to celebrate his life and to celebrate with the love that we 
we shared and I believe we still share. And dealing with it that way has really helped me to facilitate and help others deeper than I could before. So I was a grief counselor before, but this has certainly given me a language and an understanding on a much deeper level. And so what I'm finding is the more vulnerable and, and I am in my sharing of my process of grieving and what I'm going through. It's helping so many people to to have permission to feel the feelings that they feel because not everybody understands what it's like to lose the love of your life. And um, a lot of conditioning and belief systems believe that you need to get over grief at, you know, and go through those stages that I've spoken about. And the thing is, those stages happen in a day, they can happen in a moment. And you don't get over the grief, you just work with the grief and you you are able to make it part of your life. And um, I did a lot of research while I was going through this to actually deal with my own feelings of devastation. I understood what it means to die of a broken heart because grief breaks your heart and sometimes you feel like you can't breathe and you just feel like you just want to curl into a little ball and disappear because it's so painful and there's no solution and no answer. So just learning techniques of using the breath and using um, movement to help you through those moments has really helped me a lot and it's helped me now to create a lot of work and guidance for other people to help them through the process of grieving. So the, the greatest gift of this loss has been the fact that I can really take this wisdom into my work and um, help others as I go through my own grieving process. Thank you for sharing that. Now, previously you mentioned that living consciously is linked to a beautiful death. And I am curious to be able to understand what that means. So in the training of being a death doula, we, we learned and I read a lot about a good death. But I have a, a deeper understanding of that. And, you know, I, my, my partner's name was Wayne. And I used to say to Wayne, you know, let's commit to having a beautiful life because we've got as many years and time together. Let's really just have a beautiful life. And so we really held that at the core of of what we were doing. And it, it's certainly a choice as to how we're going to live our lives. And part of that is deciding to have a beautiful death. I want to have a beautiful death. I don't believe that my partner had a beautiful death, but he didn't suffer long and he went quickly. And that actually ended up being for him, a perfect death because he didn't like the fuss and the drama. And I feel that I would have rather have him not suffer. So it's it's a consciousness, it's a thought process of saying that when I can come to terms with the fact that I'm dying and acknowledge that and set an intention that I'm going to have a beautiful death and I'm going to have a good death, that I'm going to make sure that I have the support system and the resources and everything that I need as I need it as my life progresses. 
um, by deciding that and, and making that as part of my consciousness, I then choose to celebrate life and have a beautiful life. And that's just my belief system and how I show up in my life and in my work. So for me, it's my honor of nature and every day of just being grateful and blessed for the abundance and the, the beauty that is presented for me. And that's part of, that's part of life. And it's also part of death because death, you know, death, if, if you see it in winter, like the, the trees lose their leaves and they're barren and it looks very sad. And then suddenly when spring comes, miraculously you start seeing these little blossoms and these pods and they just come through the, the, the barren branches of the tree and there's life again. And I think that's the thing is that it's cycles. And we go through many deaths in our life, change of roles, change of things and relationships end, um, circumstances change things and so death is death is part of life it's not always the loss of a loved one it can be different phases and different stages of one's life and through that something good comes new birth comes new beginnings come and that's the beautiful process of life and it's the same with the cycles of the day you know the sun rises in the morning it moves across the sky and it sets in the evening. And we have darkness and then so the cycle continues. And I think that's that's the cycle of life. And death is part of that cycle. Listening to you, I think it's actually the first time I really understand that death is part of life because especially mm. in, in our society we isolate it and you know we, we bury it and don't talk about it. Mm. So yeah, so thank you for for that insight that it's just one continuation and and I hear what you're saying about living a beautiful life and how that can be reflected in having the intention for a beautiful death because it's the same thing actually in a certain mm. sense. You know, it's so interesting because when we can speak to our loved ones about like as we get older and like this is where my will is, this is where this is what I want to happen with when I die, you know, and we can start having these conversations as part of our daily conversations. It it makes things more normal. And in the beginning you ask like what well, how does society view death? I think that a lot of there's a lot of fear around death. So, you know, even when you speak to insurance people their words are often um, quite hard to take in. You know, you have to make these decisions and it's very difficult and you haven't thought it through. But if, if this becomes part of your thinking and you think, well, you know, when I die, I'd like to do this with my body and I'd like to do it this way. And you make that as a conversation as part of your family story with everything else that you speak about it then becomes part of the normality of life. And in indigenous cultures, you know, death is so much part of their, their daily life. And they have their rituals and their ceremonies. And usually when someone dies, they are still part of the family. They still, they honored, they cared for, they, they set a place at the table for them. They, you know, in, in um, a lot of the African cultures, when it's someone's birthday, they'll set a table and cook a meal for 
that person their favorite meal. So they bring the memory into daily life. And that also changes that, that fear of death. It becomes, it becomes more inclusive. And I think that that is a softer way to deal with, with this thing, that it's although they're physically gone, they're still part of your life, they're part of your memories. You miss them terribly. But the more you can bring them into your life and honor them and um, do things to remember them, then they're not gone. Then it's the devastation changes. You know, I, I believe I have a, a ritual with my, my partner. I've got a photograph of him. I light a candle every day. And I'll do that for 365 days because that's what I chose. And just really honoring him and loving him. And sometimes, I'm, you know, it's hard and I feel that I miss him. But it's just I speak about it a lot and it's part of, it's part of my life. And it really inspires other people to become more comfortable with just talking about it, that it's not a, a mystery, that it's actually just part of life. I read on your website that you mentioned there, one can bring creativity into life when we are in a place of sadness or experiencing loss or feeling overwhelmed or unable to cope. How do we bring creativity into our existence when we feel like that? Well, what happens with creativity, because it's energy and it's life force, is that when we can do something like, for example, you know, listening to a beautiful piece of music and dancing or cooking a meal that reminds you of, that makes you feel uplifted. Like, what's your favorite food? You know, um, going for a walk, making um, a beautiful garden, creating an artwork. Like, I'm, I'm crocheting a lot. So I do a lot of crocheting, which is quite meditative. I make beautiful things. I choose my colors. And just by doing that, it, it, it channels that energy that's feeling so overwhelmed and sad and that just, um, oh, you just can't breathe. It helps you to just move through those, those moments because those moments are not always there for a long time. They come in waves and it's like you've got to ride that wave and you choose how to ride, ride that wave. And, you know, sometimes people are depressed and they suffer from serious depression and, and melancholy and anxiety. And so there are always things that one can do to help you feel more connected. So you can use, you know, creativity in the way that you breathe, in the way that you make a cup of tea, in the way that you phone a friend and have a chat, in the way that you do some creative exercise, like I said, also listening to music, dancing. I also play drums. Drumming is a beautiful technique. You don't even need a drum, but you just it's just moving. And when we can move that those those feelings, they don't go away, but they just they, we create space. And when we can create a little bit of space and bring in a bit of sparkle, it certainly makes life a little bit easier to deal with. And it's not that those things go away. It's just we deal with it differently. And we have more compassion for ourselves. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. I know you have a thriving online practice. Would you like to tell us about the services you offer? Sure. So um, I work mainly online online. Um, 
and had set that up before the the pandemic hit. So it was quite easy for me to continue because I I moved to the country into this area and I have clients from all over the world that I work with. So you know I what I offer is taken me a long time to come to this name and what I realized it came through my grieving process because one of the things that came up for me is how important it is to have support and that support comes in so many different ways and so my container and my therapeutic practice offers life support and whatever is happening whether it's grief or loss anxiety life transitions overwhelm confusion role changes, depression, trauma, um, whatever's happening at that time, coming into a container with me and having some life support sessions helps you to unpack it. It gives you perspective. And we start where you're at. So whatever's happening in this moment, that's where we begin. And then we can move around that. And I'm able to listen and weave together the threads that bring us to the place that we are at the moment. You know, as I said, it, whatever is happening right now. And so I offer uh, life support sessions. I also offer, I do workshops on inner self-care because for me that's in- incredibly important. How we take care of ourselves internally, how we work with our mind and our mindset and how we deal with our emotions and our relationships with ourselves and others, the physicality of how we speak to ourselves and and interact with ourselves, all of that um, being connected with our spiritual life, how we connect with our higher power, however we perceive that to be, and connect with the internal part of us, our essence, and are we listening to ourselves and are we connected? All of that needs to have care and love. And so um, I run workshops around uh, inner self-care and it just helps people to feel more connected. Um, and then I have some packages that I run very much around the, the psychosocial aspects of ourselves. And my practice is called Awakening into Wholeness. And the concept of wholeness is about being whole, is where we bring into balance our the different parts of ourselves. So the psychosocial aspects of self are our mind and our thoughts, our emotions and feelings, um, our social aspect, which is our relationships, as I said, with self and others, and the environment, and then the physical aspect of ourselves. And we carry a lot of our trauma and anxiety and stress in our bodies. So the process of of learning how to get out of your head and into your body helps you to move and create sacred space within yourself to heal the things that you need to heal with. So there's no, you know, it's not that I fix anybody. It's that I just create a, a space for people to heal and transform and come into a place of wholeness within themselves and balance. And where can people find out more about your work? So um, I have a website, which is nidhi-amanda.com. And then I am on social media, on Facebook, and on LinkedIn, and on Instagram. And I'm still always learning how these social media things work. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but on my website, um, I'm busy transforming it a little bit at the moment, but everything is on there and there's links to all my social media and my cell phone number and my email address. So that that's a good place to, to go to. Yes, I'll attach the link to your website to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you please give us your three best tips for living consciously? So the first tip is to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because we have so much in this life to be grateful for. And when we can do that, it gives us a different perspective. It doesn't mean that things are not difficult and that we don't have challenges to deal with. But when we say thank you, we become present and we feel connected. And it gives us a sparkle of joy. So it really helps. The second one is to breathe. And when to breathe, to breathe deep into your body and to fill your whole body with oxygen. Because what that does is it brings you into presence in your body. It brings you into calmness in your mind. And even just taking one beautiful deep breath in and breathing out, it changes the perspective and you can deal with something a little bit differently. And we all know that thing of count to 10. And it's like, take three beautiful deep breaths. It's the same as counting to 10. It helps you to just see things a little bit differently. And my third tip is to listen. To listen to yourself. To listen when other people speak. To pay attention. And what happens then is you put yourself aside and for a few moments, you listen, and when you listen, you learn so much about yourself. And it helps you to be more present and conscious in your life. Thank you, Nidhi. Are you ready for your <laughs> fun question? I'm intrigued by my fun question. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting that, that you mentioned tea, because I thought of this question before we, before we started talking. Here's my question. Comfort okay. often arrives in the form of a cup of tea. Now, Nedi, if you were a specific type or blend of tea, how would you smell or taste or what would you be called? Okay, so first of all, I love herbal teas and I make them. So this is easy for me. Ah. <laughs> so I would be a herbal tea and it were, I would be mint tea. And mint is, is refreshing, it's calming, it's settling, because if you're feeling not so good in your tummy, it's settling. And, um, and uh, then I put lavender in my tea as well. So that's very healing and very supportive and gentle. And I would put lemon balm in my tea. Now, I just want to say that the lemon balm is, is a beautiful, soothing, healing herb. Thank okay. you. Thank you for gifting us with your view of death, which, which I think makes it seem less frightening and more part of life to me. Thank you. 
It's an absolute pleasure. It's been an absolute honor to talk to you and to to speak about this very necessary and important subject. So thank you so much, Mariette, for for bringing me onto your podcast. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.